Hello everyone and welcome to the August 19th edition of the WorkComp Academy Day of Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our crime report. A new case demonstrates how easy it is to commit health care fraud for millions of dollars without even having any license to practice medicine. David Williams, who is a personal trainer, spent years posing as a doctor and billing the nation's top insurers, making off with millions of dollars. Williams called himself Dr. Dave because he had a Ph.D. in kinesiology, but he didn't have a medical license. Yet he wrongfully obtained, with breathtaking ease, federal identification numbers, that allowed him to frequently bill insurers as a physician for about 1,000 people. Getting one through the federal government's Medicare program is a rite of passage for medical professionals. Without it, they cannot bill insurers for their services. Williams discovered and exploited an astonishing loophole even though he was a two-time felon. Medicare does not check national provider identifier applications for accuracy. Instead, as one federal prosecutor later noted in the court, Medicare relies on the honesty of applicants. Williams first applied for an NPI number under his own name as far back as 2008, and by 2014 he began to ramp up his scheme. He got a second NPI number under the company name Kinesiology Specialist. The following year, he picked up another under Mansfield Therapy Associates. By 2016, he obtained at least 11 more numbers, often for identities he created in the areas where he found fitness clients, Dallas, Nevada, North Texas, and more. By 2017, he had 20 NPIs, each allowing him a new stream of billings. For every NPI application, Williams also obtained a new employer identification number, which is used for tax purposes. His Get Fit with Dave website announced that they were now accepting most health insurance plans. He added a drop-down menu to his website, allowing potential clients to select their health insurance provider, Aetna, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, United, and more. He began building a team soliciting trainers from the strength and conditioning department at Texas Christian University. He used his favorite billing code, 99215, because it requires a comprehensive examination and sophisticated medical decision-making, warranting a higher reimbursement. In all, Williams used the code to bill United Insurance for more than $20.5 million, without apparently triggering any red flags at the insurer for that code alone. He ran the scheme for more than four years, fraudulently billing several of the nation's top insurance companies, United, Aetna, and Sega, for $25 million. The Texas Department of Insurance first learned of the Williams case in January 2015, but it said it lacked the staff to investigate. In January 2015, Cigna 
sent Williams a letter noting that he was not a licensed medical provider and they asked him to pay back $175,000. Williams had more than one national provider identifier number, so he just switched numbers and kept on billing Cigna. More than a year later, Cigna sent him another letter saying he now owed them $310,000 for inappropriate payments. Williams never gave any of that money back. In October 2017, he was arrested by the FBI. After a two-day trial, a jury convicted him of four counts of health care fraud. The prosecutor called it a slam-dunk case. Williams was sentenced to a little more than nine years in federal prison and ordered to pay back $3.9 million to United, Aetna, and Cigna. 50-year-old Pauline Tilton, a high-desert pharmacist who illegally distributed oxycodone by filling hundreds of counterfeit prescriptions, was ordered to serve 63 months in prison. She was a licensed pharmacist and the owner of Oasis Pharmacy in Victorville. Tilton pleaded guilty to one count of distribution of oxycodone, and one count of money laundering related to more than a quarter million dollars of revenue she received from the illegal sales. Tilton filled at least 345 fraudulent prescriptions for oxycodone during just a one-year period. The prescriptions were written under the name and DEA registration number of a retired doctor. As a result of the prescriptions, Tilton and Oasis Pharmacy illegally diverted about 62,100 tablets of oxycodone to the black market. Many of the fraudulent oxycodone prescriptions also included prescriptions for alprazolam and proxmethazine with codeine. These three drugs, oxycodone, alprazolam, and promethazine with codeine, compromise what's called the Holy Trinity, a frequently abused and life-threatening cocktail of controlled substances. This case was the first to be charged as a result of an ongoing investigation into corrupt pharmacies, dubbed Operation Folks Pharmacy. Paul Ronald Payne, who lives in Simi Valley, was sentenced to 365 days in the Ventura County Jail and ordered to pay more than $1 million in restitution to the State Compensation Insurance Fund for underreporting payroll and failing to pay workers' compensation insurance premiums. He was placed on six years of formal probation and paid $25,000 towards the restitution prior to his sentencing. He was ordered to continue making monthly restitution payments to the state fund. Payne operated a roofing and painting business called Paul Payne Roofing. The business involved hiring and maintaining a crew of employees to work roofing and painting jobs. Payne submitted payroll reports to the state fund indicating that he did not have any employees. But one of Payne's employees reported a traumatic injury in 2016. This alerted the insurer that Payne was operating his business without reporting his true payroll. 
And in regulatory news, the head of the U.S. House of Representatives Oversight Panel called on three drug makers to turn over documents as part of an ongoing congressional review over generic drug price increases. And the panel accused the companies of apparent efforts to stonewall the probe. The lawmakers first launched this probe back in 2014. The letters were sent to Mylan Pharmaceuticals, Teva Pharmaceuticals, and privately held Heritage Pharmaceuticals. A spokeswoman for Teva said the company continues to cooperate fully with all investigations. Earlier this year, 44 states filed a complaint in federal court alleging drug price fixing by the three pharmaceutical companies and other drug makers. Now, legislators say they were opening an investigation into the company's apparent coordinated obstruction of the investigation as revealed by the state's lawsuit. The Canadian government announced final regulations that should cut billions of dollars from patented drug prices that are among the highest priced in the world. This is despite heavy opposition from pharmaceutical companies who may eventually challenge the new rules in court. Global drug makers, including Johnson & Johnson, Merck & Company, and Amgen, argued against the draft plan. The biggest reform to Canada's drug price regime since 1987 would save Canadians about $10 billion over the next decade. The rules will save money for patients, employers, and insurers, including the government, at the expense of drug company profits. They also could eventually cut the earnings of drug makers in the United States, the world's largest pharmaceutical market. The Canadian Minister of Health said the new rules would lay the foundation for a new national drug program. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government is expected to announce a program to cover the cost of prescription drugs for some or all Canadians. But the program's scope is not yet clear. The government anticipates a considerable uptick in litigation, at least initially, as the industry tests the boundaries of these new rules. The new policy could eventually have consequences south of the Canadian border. The Trump administration said it would allow U.S. states and other groups to start pilot programs related to importing drugs from Canada. It has also said it may start determining what the U.S. government health care program Medicare pays for certain medicines based on prices in some other countries, including Canada. And in medical news, the hospital costs of the American medical system are so high that it made financial sense for both a highly trained orthopedist from Milwaukee and a patient from Mississippi to leave the country and meet at an upscale private Mexican hospital for a surgery. The patient, Donna Ferguson, has health coverage through her husband's employer, Ashley Furniture Industries. Ferguson is one of hundreds of thousands of Americans who seek lower-cost care outside the United States each year, with many going to Caribbean and Central American countries. A key consideration for them is whether the facility offers quality care. In a new twist on medical tourism, 
the North American Specialty Hospital, known as NASH, is a company based in Denver and has organized treatment for a couple of dozen American patients since 2017. Its website proclaims that the North American Specialty Hospital is committed to providing an exceptional level of quality in healthcare with pricing that is bundled, transparent, and competitive. Nash says it accomplishes its mission by tapping into the finest in cross-border resources. From renowned physicians on either side of the border to state-of-the-art facilities. NASH is designed to provide preoperative and postoperative services throughout the United States, while providing clinical care in Cancun, a city connected by daily, non-stop, and year-round air service for airports located throughout the United States and the entire Western Hemisphere. Donna Ferguson awoke in the resort city of Cancun and walked down a short hallway from her Sheridan Hotel and into Galenia Hospital. Her surgeon, Dr. Thomas Parisi, had flown from Wisconsin the day before. Dr. Parisi is a graduate of the Mayo Clinic and is one of about 40 orthopedic surgeons in the United States who have signed up with NASH to travel to Cancun on their days off to treat American patients. With the agreement of her insurer, she would not only receive free care, but would receive a $5,000 check for her trouble when she got home. The cost to her employer, Ashley Furniture Industries, was less than half of what a knee replacement in the United States would have been. That's why its employees and dependents who use the option have no out-of-pocket co-payments or deductibles for their procedure. And they receive a $5,000 payment from the company and all their travel costs are covered. Dr. Parisi, who spent less than 24 hours in Cancun, was paid $2,700 or three times what he would get from Medicare. Private health plans and hospitals often negotiate payment schedules using the Medicare reimbursement rate as a floor. Nash is betting that having an American surgeon will alleviate concerns some people have about going outside the country for their surgery and persuade self-insured American employers to offer this option to their workers to save money and still provide high-quality care. Nash charges a fixed amount for each case and is paid by the employer or an intermediary that arrange the treatment. The American surgeons work closely with a Mexican counterpart and local nurses. Medical tourism has been around for decades but has become more common in the past 20 years as more countries and hospitals around the world market themselves to foreigners. The other big savings is the cost of the medical device, made by a subsidiary of the New Jersey-based Johnson & Johnson, which was used in Ferguson's knee replacement surgery. The very same implant she would have received at home cost $3,500 at Galenia, compared with nearly $8,000 in the United States. Galenia is accredited by the International Affiliation of the Joint Commission, which sets hospital standards in the United States. A new study published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine 
suggests that surgeons are no better at determining which patients might benefit from operations to treat torn knee cartilage than if they just flipped a coin. Researchers surveyed 194 surgeons to see whether they would recommend surgery or exercise therapy in 20 test cases with middle-aged patients who had tears in the meniscus. Overall, surgeons correctly predicted which patients would benefit from operations only half of the time. And experienced knee surgeons were no better at guessing correctly than other orthopedic surgeons. These findings offer one reason these knee operations remain common despite a growing body of evidence suggesting many patients do not benefit. During the operation, a small surgeon makes a small incision in the knee and inserts a tiny camera called an arthroscope to view the inside of the joint. They locate and diagnose the problem and guide repairs. Sometimes surgeons remove all of the meniscus and other times they only remove part of it. While the procedure is minimally invasive, it's not risk-free. Patients receive anesthesia, which in any surgery may lead to complications such as allergic reactions or breathing difficulties. In addition, this specific procedure might potentially damage the knee or trigger blood clots in the leg. Among patients who did not respond to the surgery, only 39% of the surgeons correctly foresaw this outcome. And among patients who did not respond to exercise therapy, only 29% of the surgeons correctly predicted that outcome. In the same journal, a study published earlier in June went further, concluding that it's impossible to predict who might benefit from arthroscopic meniscus repair surgery. Neuropathic pain is a typically persistent and intractable type of chronic pain. It is caused by a primary lesion or dysfunction in the nervous system. Neuropathic pain caused by nerve injury or disease remains a major challenge for modern medicine worldwide. It is certainly a challenge in the administration of workers' compensation claims now that the use of opiate medications are on the decline. But emerging advances related to Schwann cells and neuropathic pain may lead to the development of new, successful, targeted pain therapy. The role of Schwann cells in pain perception has been further explored, and new conclusions were just published in the journal Science. The new organ involved in the sensation of pain has been discovered by scientists raising hopes that it could lead to the development of new pain-killing drugs. Researchers say they have discovered that the special cells that surround the pain-sensing nerve cells that extend into the outer layers of skin appear to be involved in sensing pain. These scientists say the finding offers new insight into pain and could help answer long-standing conundrums. The major question now is whether these cells are actually the cause for certain kinds of chronic pain disorders. The nature of these cells in the skin have largely been overlooked. These are a type of Schwann cell, which wrap around and engulf nerve cells and help to keep them alive. 
These Schwann cells have an octopus-like shape. The body of the cells sit below the outer layer of the skin, but the cells have long extensions that wrap around the ends of pain-sensing nerve cells that extend up into the epidermis, the outer layer of the skin. The scientists were surprised at the findings because it has long been believed that the endings of nerve cells in the epidermis were bare or unwrapped. A researcher from the University of Houston has found that adults who take prescription opioids for severe pain are more likely to have increased anxiety, depression, and substance abuse disorders if they also use marijuana. The report was published in the Journal of Addiction Medicine. While the co-use of substances generally is associated with poorer outcomes than single substance use, little work has examined the impact of mixing opioids and cannabis. The researchers surveyed 450 adults throughout the United States who have experienced moderate to severe pain for more than three months. The study revealed not only elevated anxiety and depression symptoms, but also tobacco, alcohol, cocaine, and sedative use among those who added the cannabis, compared with those who used opioids alone. No increase in pain reduction was reported. Opioid misuse constitutes a significant public health problem and is associated with a host of negative outcomes. Cannabis has recently garnered attention in the chronic pain literature as increasing numbers of people use it to manage chronic pain. Some say cannabis is the new or safer alternative to opioids, but these findings highlight a vulnerable population of polysubstance abusers with chronic pain and indicates the need for more comprehensive assessment and treatment of chronic pain. And that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Folds with Floyd Skarin, Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.